Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. It's another doubleheader of baseball. Game one, the final for Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Toronto Blue Jays eight, the Cleveland Guardians three. Game two, it's the Cleveland Guardians eight, it's the Toronto Blue Jays two. So a tale of two games for sure. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I wanna talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. Yeah. Forget Tale of Two Cities. We got Tale of Two baseball games right here. I mean, didn't they both? They look like completely different teams between game one and game two. Toronto's Blue Jays, uh, Toronto Blue Jays offense was electric in game one. I could not stop hard hitting the ball all around the ballpark. Game two, it's the Guardians. The Guardians rallying all over the ballpark. Um, you know, not many home runs hit on the day. Uh, was Fermil Reyes' home run the only home run on the entire day? It might have been. So, yeah, I mean, uh, both teams really putting together rallies, really doing it uh, that way with singles and doubles. So, man, let's get into it. Let's get into the details of this game. Yes, I can confirm that Fermil Reyes' home run was the only one of the day. Let's get into the storylines. I would love to, you know, jump right in on all the fun things that happened in Game 2, but... We got to talk about game one first. We got it. Let's go in order. Come on. Let's go in order here. Game one was supposed to be the marquee pitching matchup. It was supposed to be the aces, Bieber and Gossman going against each other. Gossman delivered the performance you were expecting. Bieber did not. His command, he even said post game, I was hoping for a little more insight, but basically he said my command wasn't there. And when there was no command, there was no conviction, whatever, whatever that means, um, you know, struggling to find the command on really a lot of his pitches. If we go over to the illustrator here, well, let's start with the box scores first. Bieber only lasts three in a third inning, eight hits given up, seven earned runs, three walks, no strikeouts. I believe Zach Meisel said on 71 pitches, I think that Meisel said, I uh, tweeted out that this might be the first time pitching in the major league baseball that Bieber has not recorded a strikeout. Uh, there were actually a lot of firsts um, in game one. Miles Straw was caught stealing for the first time this season, and Gossman walked his first hitter of the entire season. Uh, Bieber was hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times uh, in only three and a third innings. So really getting shelled, really struggling with command, not being able to put people away. It was a really bad outing for Shane Bieber. If we go over to the illustrator and we take a look at his location, uh, what what it tells me is that he was missing a lot with the fastball high, right? Couldn't really command the fastball high and throwing a lot of sliders across the zone. Uh, you know, sliders that they did not have to swing at, missing sometimes even in the other batter's box uh, with that slider. Uh, so yeah, so not getting any called strikes. I mean, it looks like here, it's hard to see because there's a lot of pitches, but I think there's only maybe four sliders that were actually in the strike zone. Um, ooh, maybe a fifth one right at the bottom outside corner. Other than that, he was missing pretty bad with that slider. So frankly, the Toronto Blue Jays hitters were just waiting for things up, you know, on the plate that they can drive. And a lot of their hits off of him come from pitches that were up, up at the letters. Yeah, there's a couple of singles from down at the bottom of the strike zone, but I got five big hits, including the two doubles, that were all from the letters, hit at the letters, and out over the plate for these hitters. So, yeah. And then when he was putting it in the strike zone, he was giving them some meat pitches, basically, 
to rope some hard hit balls off of him. So, yeah, I would say the command definitely was not there for Bieber. And, you know, it's surprising. It felt like it was going to be a good day for him. It was a beautiful day down on the shores of Lake Erie in downtown Cleveland. You know, they showed a shot of him sitting there right before they went to commercial, right before first pitch, and he's sitting in the dugout, and he looked ready. And he looked ready, and it just wasn't there once he got out out on the mound. Um, Going over to the player breakdown for him, it's pretty bad. You've never seen numbers this bad. For Bieber, I mean, he only gets six whiffs on the entire day. Four of them do come on that slider, one on a fastball, one on a curve. That's it. It's an 18% whiff rate on the day. His total CSW on the day, every pitch was in the teens. Every pitch, fastball 14%, slider 19 cutter 13 knuckle curve 14 A total of 15% CSW on the day. That's it. Called strikes plus whiffs. That's it. Usually, Bieber is up in the 30%, if not coming close to 40% CSW on the day. So just could not could not get those strikes. And uh, his velocity was down. His average fastball on the day was only 89.9, uh, almost an entire mile per hour less than his yearly average, which hasn't been that high to begin with. His yearly average is only 90.8. So all his pitches were down a little bit on velocity. However... Looking across both games, it looked like a lot of pitchers had their velocity slightly down. Around around one mile per hour, just maybe less than one mile per hour down. Was the wind a factor in that? You know, was the wind a factor in pitch velocity yesterday? I don't know, but it seemed like almost every not everyone, not everyone, Sam Hentges was throwing harder than he has all season. Um, but most of the guys, Toronto, Cleveland, across both games, seemed like their velocity was down, including Gossman. His averages were down from his yearly averages, too. However, Gossman pitched a lot better. Six and a third innings pitch, six hits, one earned run, only one walk, five strikeouts on 104 pitches. He was pretty dominant. And going back over to the illustrator, throwing a lot more strikes, pounding the strike zone with his fastball, throwing that splitter on the uh, inside edge there, his arm side edge, Um, and then throwing the slider across the zone, trying to get a lot of chase with that slider. And going to the player breakdown here, it's not a huge whiff rate. It's only a 20% whiff rate on the day. He got a couple whiffs on the splitter, got a couple on the slider, It's called strikes. My God, 18 called strikes on the four-seam fastball. What were the Guardians hitters doing in that first game? What were they waiting for? 18 called strikes on the four-seam fastball. It's a 34% CSW total on that pitch. It's only 28% CSW total for him. My God, that is a lot. In fact, you know what? I want to take a look at this. I want to take a look and look at all the called strikes, and see where he was locating these pitches. These these aren't necessarily all on the black. Yeah, there's a couple along the edges. There's one way outside to Jose Ramirez that's called a strike on a 1-0 pitch in the third inning. Um, Most of these are on the plate. I mean, some of these are right down the middle. Ahmed Rosario took one to start the at-bat in the seventh inning right down the middle. Miles Straw took one to start his at-bat in the fifth inning right down the middle. Reyes took a 3-2 count in the second inning at the thighs, but right down the middle. Same with Stephen Kwan, 2-1 count. He takes one right down the middle. Uh, Kwan took a couple right down the middle for called strikes. 
So yeah, I said right. He froze Quan in that first inning for a called strike three. So I don't, I don't know what's going, what was going on. Uh, maybe they were expecting something different from Gossman, but he was just absolutely pounding the strike zone with strikes against these guys. Eighteen called strikes on that four seam fastball. That is pretty incredible. All right, so that was the pitching matchup here. Uh, another thing that did not help the Guardians in this game was outfield play. Uh, so they put together some rallies against the Guardians here. Uh, in that second inning, Palacios did not have a good second inning. Uh, with the bases loaded after a Chapman double and two walks, walks are going to prove costly for Shane Bieber here. Uh, Tapia hits a single, a little flare out into left field. 69.1 mile per hour exit velocity. Drops it in front of Palacios. And he doesn't come up throwing. He doesn't. Chapman scores. Espinal rounds third. He heads for home. He probably would have been out for a mile, but Palacios does not come up throwing. He throws it into Jose Ramirez. And it's really interesting. If you look at Jose Ramirez and you look at Austin Hedges behind the plate and you look at Shane Bieber backing him up, all three of them have a similar physical reaction that basically says, kid, throw the, why didn't you throw the ball home? What, what are you waiting for? Uh, Ramirez kind of shrugs his shoulders like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you throwing the ball to me for? Uh, so, you know, it's a situation, I don't know, maybe maybe they weren't communicating. Maybe they weren't yelling. I don't know where they were yelling for him to throw the ball. Usually you'd have an infielder yelling, home, 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 uh, something like that. Letting the kid know where to go. Or maybe he just didn't feel confident that he was going to make that throw. Anyways, they score two runs on that one. Then George Springer comes up, hits a double over his head, and he's just got to be better at playing the ball off the wall. That's just something. I don't know if that's a lack of experience thing, but he's got to be better at corralling that ball off the wall, being prepared for that ricochet off the wall. Because again, he lets another run. He lets Tapia come all the way around from first to score because he can't get the ball off the wall and then can't pick it up off the grass. Uh, Bobbles it there. So Tapia comes all the way around from first to score. So struggles outfield, uh, struggles defensively for Palacios. And then Quan even has his moment uh, later in the fourth inning. Um, who hit that one over his head? I think it was, it was Tapia again. Tapia with a single 101.5 mile per hour exit velocity, this time towards mild straw in right field. It's hard to tell because the camera cuts right as the ball is kind of getting out there to him as he's making his break on the ball. It looked to me like he might have taken a step in. My brother thinks seems to think that it looked like he took a step back and just slipped. It looked to me like he did take a little stutter step in before stepping back, which caused him to slip. And uh, either way, he can't recover. He, 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 he gets up, but the ball hits off the heel of his glove. And it's, it's a tough thing to do. You think... You think it would be easier, but once you slip, it just throws everything off, and he gets the glove up there and just can't squeeze it. So it's tough defensively for Straw out there too. Uh, it was a tough day defensively in the outfield for the Guardians, at least in Game One. In Game Two, they were able to come back and make some plays defensively. We will definitely get to some of the defense in Game Two. So you know, I thought thought those were the big storylines in Game One. Uh, offensively, the Guardians don't do much. Um, and again, we could talk about everything the Blue Jays did, but we got two games to cover, and I just don't have time to go through all that. Uh, offensively for the Guardians, I mean, Quan comes up with an RBI single. He actually does it in both games. Has a nice RBI single that he shoots through the infield. So Quan's still delivering offensively in that two-hole, or uh, in game two, 
in the leadoff spot. So uh, that's big to see that, you know, whether he's hitting first or second, he still be able to deliver those hits, get on base, make things happen. He also walked in this game, so he's on base twice in this game. Uh, Straw had two hits and a walk from the leadoff spot, so a great, a good leadoff game, even though he's caught stealing once. He does steal a base later in the game. Um, yeah, but they just can't deliver the big hits behind him. Naylor goes 0 for 3. He does have an RBI, a sack fly. Reyes does have a hit in this first game and a walk, so he is on base twice. Uh, but Ahmed Rosario, Palacios, and then the 9-hole, which is Hedges with Jimenez pinch hitting in the ninth inning, can't deliver. They go 0 for 12 on the day. So, Really, that's where the offense kind of peters out and dies. It doesn't matter. With with the start Bieber gave, the Guardians did not have much of a chance. In fact, they really don't put in together any offense until that eighth inning when the bases are walked loaded. And even then, they can't deliver the big hit, right? It's a fielder's choice. It's a sack fly that bring in those two runs in the eighth inning. So even gifted the bases loaded via walks, they still can't really deliver offensively in game one. All right, let's wrap up game one right there. Let's move over to game two because things get a lot better. You thought they were going to be rough after that first inning, right? Back-to-back hits in that first inning. An RBI double by Boba Shett that brings in Springer. And you're thinking, oh, is this, we going to have to suffer through two games of this? Come on. But no, no, the Guardians wake up for game two. First off, they do. there's some great defense here that saves Tristan McKenzie a couple of times, including that first inning including Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting picked off at first base from the catcher, from Luke Maley, in that first inning. And be the first of three times that they would really run themselves out of an inning. Um, In the second inning, Espinal would try to stretch a double into a triple with one out. He would get thrown thrown out at third base on a great job and a great tag, frankly, from Ernie Clement. Kind of pushes him off the base, but kind of also just lets Espinal's momentum carry him off the base. A little combination there, but they throw a guy out at third base, and then they get a strike him out, throw him out uh, in the third inning where uh, the runner breaks back for first base, and they're able to get the ball back and throw him out at first base. So huge, huge, huge defensive plays help Tristan McKenzie out in this game. They really did a good job of picking him up after the defense kind of let down Bieber a little bit in game one. So big moments there. But then the Guardians come up. The big storyline of this game is the Guardians offense was awake. And they start putting together rallies. They score in the first, third, fifth, sixth, and seventh innings. So really doing a good job of spreading out the offense there. Uh, you know, I was going to give Owen Miller a hard time, frankly, because I felt he was pretty rough in game one. I thought maybe this Owen Miller experiment in the cleanup spot was kind of coming to an end. When he was hitting sixth, he was hitting great. He had over a 1,000 OPS. In that four hole, he's had like a 500 OPS. It's just, it just hasn't worked since that switch. Now, is that a situation of a guy cooling off and it just happens to be where he's hitting in the lineup now? Or is something about that four hole really difficult mentally for these guys to deal with and uh, that's not working? Frankly, right now, I would rather see Naylor hitting fourth, Reyes fifth, maybe then Jimenez and Owen Miller um, that way, if you if you want to, if you're obsessed with going lefty righty lefty righty, then you could go Jimenez behind Reyes and Owen Miller there. Frankly, Jimenez should be in the lineup every day. The fact that he wasn't in the lineup in Game One was a huge insult to I don't know to Jimenez, to Guardians fans, to, to everybody that's kind of come around on Andres Jimenez and realized how talented this guy might be. You know, I heard some people complaining on 
Guardians Twitter, they're like, oh, look at his look at his bat bib. Like, this isn't a sustainable, blah, blah, blah. The guy's hitting. Why don't you just enjoy it? The guy is hitting. I'm loving it. I want to see every time Andres Jimenez is up to the plate. I'm watching. It's the same thing right now with Steven Kwan and Jose Ramirez. Every time those guys are at the plate, I'm not walking away. I'm not walking away. I don't care if the dog is scratching at the door to go outside. I'm watching the end of that at bat before we go outside. You know what I mean? Like, that's must-see TV right now. Um. So, yeah. So, uh, Owen Miller delivers the big RBI hit in that one um, to kick things off, to kick off that scoring in the first inning. Fermil Reyes had two RBI hits in this one, including a big solo home run on, frankly, a meatball that was just right there. Uh, right there, top of the zone at the letters, and he crushed it. He crushed it. I heard him talk. I heard him say that he talked with the the hitting coaches. They talked about making more contact, slowing things down a little bit, swinging a little easier, just going for contact. Isn't that what we talked about the other day? That he must have been working, and he was. He was working with the hitting coaches here. He was working with the hitting staff here. So maybe it is Valeka having a little bit of an impact. Uh, that's what we were hoping to see with a new hitting coach. So he has a huge day offensively. Really fun to see him crank the only home run of the day. Frankly, with the way the wind was blowing, I, it's surprising anybody got one out, but I think it calmed down a little bit in that second game. And then Andres Jimenez delivers two hits on the day, including a big RBI hit. Um, so yeah, a big day offensively. Um, Luke Maley delivers another RBI double. This guy, by the way, has four. So his nickname, we found this out when he was traded to the team, or when they when they signed him, he wasn't traded. When they signed him, his nickname is Lukey Barrels. Okay, pretty silly nickname. That's the official nickname for him on MLB.com. When they do their you know nicknames on the back of the jerseys weekend, it's Lukey Barrels for him. I think it should be Lukey Doubles at this point because he's got four hits on this season. Guess what? They're all doubles. They're all double. That's pretty crazy from Luke Maley. Um, in fact, let me check his spray chart here. I'm pretty sure they're all doubles pulled into that left field corner. So, uh, yeah, he delivers another big, yep, all, well, one into left center field and then uh, two doubles, uh, three doubles down the left field line, basically. My God, really pulling the ball there. So, he hasn't gotten many at bats so far in the season. Uh, it's only 16 plate appearances, but. Four for four doubles, all hits, all doubles, um, including an RBI double in this one. So yeah, every pretty much everybody delivers offensively at some point in this game. Oscar Mercado doesn't have a hit, but he does drive a hit of an RBI, a walk, and a run scored. So he definitely delivers in his own way offensively. You know, Mercado's batting average is pretty rough right now. I think he might be the ooh, one of the only Guardians under 200 at this point, 185. Oof. But his defense, he had really good defense in this game. So that's one thing about Mercado right now. When you have Palacios and Quan out there, it's nice to have Mercado, a really reliable defensive outfielder that you can put in any of those three spots. And then even Clement delivers with a walk and a hit from the nine hole. So everybody big offensively. It was a really fun rally to put across three in that first inning. Uh, and then to continue to just score the 5th, 6th, 7th inning, all putting up runs. It was a really fun game to watch. Every inning had something for you uh, to latch onto. And then Tristan McKenzie. Actually, before we get to McKenzie, let's talk Andres Jimenez. 
Andres Jimenez's impact in this game was undeniable. He makes a huge defensive stop to get out of the first inning, a ball that basically knocks him over, knocks him back, uh, and he's able to spin and fire to first in a pretty acrobatic play. And then he gets another one sliding up the middle. He's able to snag another shot and fire off to first to make another out. His defense is outstanding. And I guess it's, you know, it's one of those things where as long as he's in the lineup for me right now, I know a lot of you want him to be shortstop. A lot of you were complaining that Ahmed Rosario was even in there on the day. Ahmed Rosario, by the way, was crushing the ball in the second game. Four hard hit balls and four at bats. Now, only one of them goes for a hit uh, in five plate appearances. He does walk once. Only one of them goes for a hit, but absolutely smoking the ball four times uh, on this day. I know a lot of you might be a little bit done with Ahmed Rosario defensively at shortstop. We've already talked about this. It might be the only place they can play him. And they want to try to keep his bat in the lineup. And they want to try to keep him in there. Maybe they find a way to trade him at some point this season. But as long as Andres Jimenez is in there at some point, I don't understand why he wasn't in that first game. If I had to decide who was going to split at bats with, I guess, basically Josh Naylor and Ernie Clement... It wouldn't have been Andres Jimenez. Going against two righties, it would have been Ahmed Rosario. I would have seen Andres Jimenez starting at shortstop in one game and starting at second in the other. That's fine. As long as he's in there defensively, he's going to make plays. In today's major league, yeah, in little league, yeah, sure, the shortstop gets 90% of the ground balls. But in major league baseball, it is pretty split up now these days between the second baseman and the shortstop. He's still going to get a lot of action at second base and have a big impact at second base. Sure, shortstop is still the premier defensive position, but as long as his glove is in the field, good things are going to happen. So I don't know why he was split between those two games, um, but it was a real game changer having him back in the lineup. Uh, like I said, two hits on the day, an RBI, two hard hit balls. He is continuing to produce in that lineup, and he needs to be in that fifth, sixth spot in the lineup at this point. Uh, he needs to be there when the top of the order is rallying to deliver a big RBI hit. So big stuff from Andres Jimenez in this one. And then the final storyline for me is that Tristan McKenzie, I can't believe this is the last thing we're getting to, but Tristan McKenzie was very good in this one. Yes, defense gets him out of the first. Yes, uh, defense saves him a couple outs here with picking guys off and things like that and throwing a guy out at third base. But he goes six innings, gives up only four hits, only two runs, does walk two guys with six strikeouts on 102 pitches. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times as well. But some of that defense helps limit that damage. Uh, McKenzie was locating so much better than Shane Bieber was. Uh, his fastball, he was really attacking with the fastball. He was even attacking with that curveball, throwing a bunch in the zone, attacking with that slider in the zone. He was really coming after that strike zone. Sort of the glove side for him of that strike zone. So just from the catcher's view, just right of center, he was really pounding that side of the strike zone. But it was an attack kind of day from Tristan McKenzie. And if we go to his player breakdown here, um, getting a lot of whiffs on all his pitches. Uh, you know, five whiffs on the fastball, five on the curveball, four on the slider. It's good for a 25% whiff rate on the day. And then pounding, like I said, with that fastball, getting those called strikes, nine called strikes. Um, 
It's not eye-popping CSW numbers. It's 26% CSW total on the day. But what helps is uh, with that four-seam fastball, yes, the five whiffs, yes, the nine called strikes, but then 17 foul balls. They just couldn't square them up. Um, Now, when they did square up that fastball, they did have an average exit velocity of 97.2. In fact, they averaged a hard-hit ball on the day. Blue Jays hitters averaged 95.8 mile per hour exit velocity off him on the day. So yes, eventually they did square up a couple. But those 17 foul balls on his fastball, in fact, 28 foul balls total on the day, those strikes add up. Those strikes put you in pitcher's counts uh, and allow you to finish off hitters. So it's good stuff from McKenzie on the day. His fastball popping a lot more than Shane Bieber's did. Average 91.6 miles per hour, maxed at 94.5 miles per hour on that fastball. So a great job by Tristan McKenzie on this one. And uh, frankly, then the bullpen came in. At that point, they had a huge lead. And uh, Shaw, Trevor Steffen, and Emmanuel Classe really shut him down. Uh, I know we all don't want Sean necessarily pitching in high leverage situations, but he does have a nice strong inning, including a strikeout. Um, I guess it wasn't a high leverage situation because the Guardians were already up seven or eight at that point. And they were up seven to two at that point. Um, they would add one more in that bottom of the seventh inning. So a good job by the bullpen. Frankly, it was a decent job by the bullpen across both games. Um, De Los Santos did not have a great day with three walks. In fact, Castro, Castro had an interesting performance. He gives him two and two-thirds innings, which really saved a lot of arms out of the bullpen in that first game. He did have two walks and a hit, but he didn't give up any runs, and he had four strikeouts. So Castro doing a good job facing his former team. Uh, speaking of facing his former team, Bradley Zimmer did not have a good game. He goes 0 for 3 with two strikeouts in that nine hole. Bradley Zimmer is hitting 0.75 right now with a 2.69 OPS for Toronto. I mean, I, no matter what happens, I, I think there's absolutely no way we lost that trade. Getting Castro, who has the potential to be a fairly decent bullpen arm for a few seasons, versus Bradley Zimmer, who is hitting .075 and showing no signs of figuring it out at the plate. I mean, yeah, I I, I can't believe the Blue Jays actually made that trade. I, I'm really shocked they made that trade. Um, they've had a few injuries in the outfield, so I guess they've needed him. You know, they've needed a body out there, but man, Zimmer is just not figuring it out yet. So those are the big storylines on the day. MVP for the day. Oh boy, this is a tough one. I'm I'm actually going to go with Tristan McKenzie. It was a really good start. I think Andre Knott said in the pregame for the game one that McKenzie had a bunch of friends coming and he told them, make sure you're there for game one because that's the real pitching matchup. No, Tristan, you are you are the show right now. You are the one that we want to see. Um, really, really pitching effective, attacking. It is fun. Like I said, just like when Jimenez is up to bat or, or Ramirez or Quan, and I, it's must-see TV. When McKenzie's pitching, it's kind of must-see TV right now. He's been pitching really good to start the season. Uh, definitely up there right now, maybe the number you know two starter on this roster right now. Uh, It's been that good to start the season from Tristan McKenzie. So I'm giving him MVP on the day. All right. That is all my thoughts on this one. It's an interesting doubleheader. uh, But the good news is we've already taken two out of three in the series. So at worst, we split the series with a very good Toronto Blue Jays team. In the finale today, did they announce who is pitching today? It's going to be Pilkington. 
It's going to be Pilkington going today. For some reason, they needed another starter to balance things out before we go off to Chicago. It wouldn't be surprising. Eli Morgan didn't pitch yesterday, so he's fresh and ready to go in the bullpen. So it wouldn't be surprising to see him piggyback maybe a little bit and Eli Morgan come in and get a little bit of run in this game after Pilkington gets the start. So it'll be interesting to see how many times through the lineup Pilkington goes. Uh, We're going against, by the way, Manoa, who's been very, very good for Toronto. He is 4-0 on the season with a 1.45 ERA, a 0.84 whip. I mean, this guy in his career, he's a young guy. This is his second season. Last year, he was 9-2 with a 3-2-2 ERA and 20 starts. So this is a very good young pitcher, 24 years old for uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he's a righty, so we'll see those lefties. I'm expecting Jimenez to be in there. I'm expecting uh, Josh Naylor to be in there. Most of the lefties to be in there. And uh, we'll see what we do against a very good young pitcher here. So we got our we got a, we got our work cut out for us to win this series, to finish this thing off, and frankly, to finish off a pretty good week uh, of Guardians baseball. I mean, you got to say... When you saw San Diego and you saw Toronto coming up uh, on the schedule, you probably thought that this week was going to be a struggle, but so far it's going pretty good. I mean, we split with San Diego. We're up two games to one on Toronto right now. It's been it's been all right. It's been all right. The Guardians are hanging in there. Uh, I wonder what the perception is from other teams because, you know, I don't think a lot of these names, I don't think Owen Miller is a household name or even Andres Jimenez and Steven Kwan or Mercado or Ernie Clement. I wonder what they these other teams say when they see these names and they see this offense go off, right? I wonder if word is getting around that the Guardians offense does have some talent. So, all right. That's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. The Blue Jays score eight and win the first one. The Guardians score eight and win the second one. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.